down in the grip of oppression I fought for my liberty I paid with the blood of my people Freedom has never been free Now my door's always open To dreamers and friends But when I'm attacked I protect and defend Because my name is America Welcome everyone and I hope that you all have been paying attention to what is going on in the news because it seems that our constitution is now being put in the trash as there are very little separation between branches of government so that they can oversee each other, which was supposed to be the checks and balances that eliminated so much power in the federal government but that doesn't seem to matter anymore today. Today, the federal government has decided that they can write legislation. And we have departments like the CDC writing legislation. This is extremely dangerous. And this is how we wind up with a one-party system controlled totally by the leftist communist Democrats. Uh, Actually, let me rephrase that. I would add 17 rhinos on that one because I have no idea what these people were thinking. Well, actually, yes, I do. They have absolutely decided that it is their best interest to eliminate the middle class. And they are on a crash course to make sure that that happens. Hello, everyone. This is Karen Schoen. You're listening to the prism of America's education. Education is the thread that makes all of this happen. Education is the driving force of what is going on in our country today because it is behind the scenes that lays the groundwork that is carried through and we can see communism rising to the top. We're very lucky today. I have invited David Hoyt, who is the Executive Director of Development of the Heartland Institute. And if you are not familiar with the Heartland Institute, please go to heartland.org and sign up and start getting some of their information. David, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining me. Can you give everybody a a little summary of what Heartland is all about? Absolutely. Thank you. Yes, pleasure to be here. So the Heartland Institute is a national nonprofit think tank. We were founded in 1984. And the idea behind Heartland is to promote free market solutions to social and economic problems. That's what our mission statement is. So we do original research. uh, We write a lot. We do a lot of op-eds. And we also produce our own newspapers and materials trying to promote free market uh, views and, uh, and news and trying to help legislators make better decisions on behalf of the principles that the country was founded on. Yes, and one of those better decisions could be in that disgraceful infrastructure bill, which does very little to improve infrastructure, but certainly gives a big boost to all of these ridiculous, insane green programs that will do nothing other than destroy the America that we know. 
Actually, folks, they prefer us to be living in the dark ages so that they can have more and we will have less. And all of this is part of what they call, I believe, the Great Reset. Boy, what a reset that is going to be, as Klaus Schwab said, you will rent, you will own nothing, and you will be happy. What do you think about that, David? That's really not free market. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And yeah, I I agree 100%. I think everything that they're trying to push through the infrastructure bill goes right back to the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab and the Great Reset. That's what our analysis has revealed. And and you're 100% right. The things that they recommend for supposedly combating climate change will have no meaningful effect on climate. And uh, what it will do is it'll destroy the economy. And so the question to me is, is that an unintentional side effect or is that an intentional side effect? And if you read what Mr. Schwab has to say, I think you have to come to the conclusion that it is intentional and it's more about control than it is about climate. Well, one of the problems that I think that we as Americans do when we talk about these people is we equate them to being Americans and then we scratch our head and we say, why do they want to destroy our country? Don't they love it the same way we do? The answer, folks, is no. They are communists and communists do not have any regard for human life. They don't care about human life. And in reality, they would like our planet to be depopulated. And they say that continually over and over again. Uh, There's too many people for the world to be able to feed. That's a lie. There's too many people for the world to have fresh water. That's a lie. And really, when you know communism, David, their goal is to eliminate America and the middle class. That is the goal. And that is the goal of the Great Reset. They tell us that over and over again, don't they? Yes, I I, I think that's accurate. And I think what a lot of people fail to realize about Marxism, socialism, and communism is that in the end state that Marx had in mind, it's not the Soviet socialism uh, and the horrors that they produced. It's a, a quote unquote classless society. But of course, the way that winds up in the real world is you have the the ruling class and you have the ruled. And that's just inevitable in human nature, I think. But in, in Marx's final state, there was allegedly going to be no money and no property and everything would be shared and people would hold hands and sing kumbaya. And then you hear that exact sentiment echoed in the quote from Schwab that you just referenced, that you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. And it's very shocking to see these the biggest companies in the world lining up behind this ideology. Yes. And when they say you will own nothing, they are not fooling because they don't mean just you will not own your house. They mean you will not own anything, period. That means your transportation. That means your health care. That means anything that you want to do is now going to be monitored. What do you think of these social credits, David? Yeah, it's terrifying. Um, I think it's definitely one of the more insidious systems of control that's been put together And it goes in line with an overall trend that I think you see coming out of the World Economic Forum's recommendations, which is almost like a quasi-voluntary compliance system, because it's very easy for us free market advocates to say, if the government's doing something, then we know it's bad. But when they collude with 
big tech companies, for instance, to create a social credit system and use that to engineer behavior, it's much more harmful and it's much harder for free market people to say it's the, just the government doing it because it's not just the government. They collude with business. Uh, yes, the um, I think one of the things that's really challenging for those of us who are advocates of the free market system is that when it's just purely the government putting its boot on the neck of the American people or any other people, it's easy for us to say, this is bad, this is an overreach of the constitutional restraints on the government. But with things like the social credit system and a lot of the other things that are being advocated by the World Economic Forum, they collude with private enterprise to do it. And so, for instance, you do, I think we're starting to see that now with a lot of the social media and big tech industry colluding with business in order to violate our rights. And it's much harder when you're a free market advocate and they involve business in part of that equation. Absolutely. And I truly believe, make no mistake, that uh, President Trump was duped into believing that the economy should be shut down. And because he believes in states' rights, he allowed the governors to do whatever they needed to do in their uh, in their states in order to address the pandemic. And because he was duped, they had a plan, and that plan was to eliminate middle-class businesses because they were competition to the big boys. And you can't consolidate power if you have a lot of little companies uh, floating around doing their own thing. Now, that's America. That's free enterprise. But there is nothing that is free with this crowd because unless they want to give it away for free, that's all they want to do. But they certainly um, are. How does a, a country work without borders and without free enterprise, without People working for themselves to better their own lives. Other anything other than that is not America. And I think that's the direction that they are pushing us in. They want us to be Europe or even worse than that. They want us to be the Middle East. So I think we're going backwards. What do you think, David? Yeah, I think that's 100% right. I, I couldn't agree more. You know, what America was founded on was the great middle class. And so the founding fathers in that generation threw off the shackles of an unfair oligarchical system. And the idea was that the people would be well educated, that they could run their own lives. And now using almost using the free market as an excuse to allow these mega corporations to crowd out the small businesses and private entrepreneurship, we've created a new oligarchical class, it seems to me. Yes, we certainly have. And have we elected these people, folks? I don't think so. So why are we allowing them to tell us what to do? Because we're foolish? Because it's easier that way? The day that President Trump was taken off of Twitter, and was removed from Facebook, I shut my Twitter and Facebook account. Did that hinder me? Yes, it did. And I will tell you that it did. And I did not communicate the way that I did before. But I'll be damned if I am going to feed people who say overtly over and over again, we think you're racist. We think you're awful. We hate you. We want to kill you because you want to kill us. 
absolutely not true, but that's the direction that this is headed in because that's the direction that this is going as we have these oligarchs producing these insane uh, ideas, ideologies, uh, this critical race theory where everything that we do in this government is everything we do in this country is absolutely based on race. How is that possible? What do you think of the critical race theory, David? Yeah, it's horrific. It's something that we've um, started to write about recently. And to me, there's a long-term trend where kids in school are increasingly being indoctrinated more so than they're being educated. And critical race theory fits right in line with that. There was a good bill in um, South Carolina that passed to um, to enforce better curricular standards. And we've uh, held that up as a model for other states. And, you know, thank God we have uh, DeSantis here. So he's been good. But what happens when somebody who has not been as good on these issues becomes governor of this or any other state? That's the thing that we have to really pay attention to, folks. And as I say continually, America is a participation sport. We cannot sit back and let others dictate to us and rule us because that's what's happening. They are ruling us. And remember, folks, these people are not experts. Contrary to what you believe, contrary to what you have been told, they are not experts. They, in fact, are pushing an agenda and they are not going to stop until they control everything. And by everything, I really mean everything. This plan is a total control by the government of every aspect of human activity. Think about that. Every single thing that you do will now be monitored and corrected and nudged into the position that this government, that they want you to to have that they want you to believe. And they do not care that you overtly see exactly what they're doing and they will flaunt it right in front of you. Look at Obama's uh, birthday party, all those people with masks on and they were all socially distanced. Give me a break. It is for thee, but not for me. And that's what they base everything on. That's what oligarchs do. And they are totally against a free market system. David, could you describe, we say free market, but there are many people out there that don't quite understand what that really means. Yeah, definitely. So a lot of the thinking behind free market economics goes back to Adam Smith's book, uh, The Wealth of Nations, which came out, incidentally enough, in 1776. And in it, he described at the time, the economic systems in Europe were centered around mercantilism. So you had the British Empire and the French colonial possessions, and everybody had trade within their own areas and possessions. But even within some of the other states, such as in the Holy Roman Empire, you could go from one German principality to another, and you'd have to pay taxes. The government would take a huge fee on whatever goods you were trying to bring over there. And so, of course, that had a harmful effect on the economy. And what Adam Smith noted is that if you have free trade with less restrictions and less taxes, it's a rising tide that lifts all boats. 
And so that line of thinking has continued on to today and become a massive field within economics in its own right. But the principles still hold true. When the government creates a fair playing field where private property is respected and the rules are enforced fairly, it makes uh, more wealth for everybody and it distributes it in, uh, in a relatively beneficial way. Well, I used to believe when I was a business owner as well as a teacher, and one of the things that I noticed when I was a business owner is that the mega corporations look for the small businesses to innovate and create. And then what they do is they will go and buy these businesses or just steal their ideas to in, make themselves bigger and in the end crush, crush the small business. So what government is really supposed to do is kind of level the playing field between big business and small business so that they can equally coexist. That's not happening because the mega corporations have one goal, it seems right now, and that is to crush any small business that doesn't agree with their approach to the political theater. Have you ever seen that before, David, where the big businesses are so politically involved as they are today? So yes, I think one of the things that has started to occur more recently is for big business to start getting so heavily engaged in what traditionally have been social issues. And I think that stems from the World Economic Forum. It's not enough for them just to pursue their bottom line and their profit margins, but now they also want to control what people think and how they think. And I think that evidences itself on climate change is, is one of the best examples. Everybody has to fall in line with the climate change uh, catastrophe narrative or else you're not welcome in uh, in certain circles. And it starts from not just government, but also uh, from uh, big multinational businesses. Absolutely. And the, uh, the IPCC, which is the International uh, Government Panel on Climate coming out of the United Nations, has just issued a report David, that report goes back 150 years. Isn't that amazing? So in 150 years, our climate is warming. How old is the Earth? <laughs> the Earth, I think, is 4.5 billion years old. So a 150-year time frame, does that have any meaning at all in the realm of reality of the position of the Earth? How can they do that, David? Well, exactly. And there are, there, there, we've done uh, some studies in the past. We're actually doing another one this year that looked at the surface stations that they use now to try to report on these temperatures. And there's a huge amount of anomalies there. And But even going back beyond that, we didn't have very sophisticated techniques of trying to measure temperature until fairly recently. And even if we did, until I hear an explanation of how greenhouse gas emissions and human activity caused the end of the last great ice age, which was something like 11,000 years ago, I, I've remained very unconvinced that human activity is responsible for the very moderate warming that's occurred over the last hundred years or so. 
Right. And that's really very important that we pay attention to prior to 150 years. And you can see that when uh, the geologists study the formations of the earth and the rock and what was what is down in the layers of the earth. And they can see we went through warming periods. We went through freezing periods. It's the earth, it's climate. But one thing is very interesting. They keep on claiming that CO2 is the cause, the root cause, they steal a few words, the root cause of climate is CO2. Well, folks, take a glass of soda right out of the fridge and pour it in, pour a uh, cup of soda. Take a look at that soda. What do you see when it's coming right out of the fridge? That soda is filled with bubbles. What are those bubbles? Those bubbles are CO2, carbonated water. Now, leave the glass on the counter. What happens to the glass of, of soda? It gets warm. What happens as the soda is warming? It is expelling CO2. It is releasing the CO2. So CO2 is a result of warming, not the cause of warming. You can't be the cause and the result simultaneously. That's mathematically impossible. So all of this hype of how CO2 is creating warming is not true. CO2 is a result of the earth warming and evaporation. And this is another piece of erroneous information that they are feeding our children. Uh, today, I think on Yahoo, I saw uh, there was our friend, the polar bear sitting on a little piece of ice where everybody is going to be saying that the ice is going to melt and we will, won't have polar bears anymore. So I guess we're back to that one again. What do you think, David? Right, exactly. We found that to be the exact, the exactly correct, that the CO2 is a lagging indicator. It's a result, like you said. And if you look at, even if you use the government's own charts that they promote trying to prove that CO2 is causing climate change, their own charts tend to indicate the exact opposite. We've done quite a bit of research on that. And, um, and the thing is, I also don't trust their charts when they come out with them. Uh, some stuff is going to be very hard for them to cook the books on, but especially after the climate gate email scandal, which was a number of years ago, and or a climate researcher, one of the head guys at IPCC, uh, who is a scientist at Oxford, his emails got leaked somehow, and it became very clear that some of the leading climate scientists on these issues are not interested in objectively pursuing truth, whatever the truth may be they're making sure that their findings support a certain conclusion. They already know what the conclusion is. It's that we need government control to fight climate change and climate change is going to kill us all in 10 to 15 years. And anything that doesn't support that conclusion, they don't put in their reports. So we have selective reporting, which is not science. The whole concept of science is to continually throw different ideas out and then follow them and see where they lead so that eventually you have the truth. You know what's going on. But when you know the conclusion in advance, which is what they do, and then all of their models come to that conclusion, 
well, we know they will be filled with errors. We know that they will be filled with atrocities of which they go back to the fear factor, which is if we can make the American citizen afraid, they will follow us anywhere. They will do anything. And that's exactly what they are doing with the climate. I mean, I think this is the third go round. Uh, Every couple of years, it's either we're going to die from the cold or we're going to die from the heat. Just a matter of who's in office and who is uh, sprouting at that moment as to what they are going to be feeding us. But believe me, folks, There is absolutely nothing that humans can do to stop a tornado, a hurricane, or any of the other weather events because we the earth is a living, breathing planet. I didn't even know until I started doing research that in America, we have 136 active volcanoes who at any given moment can do anything. And yet they are telling us, what are we supposed to do? Go and stick our thumbs in the uh, mouth, in the cone of the volcano and tell it, please don't erupt because we don't want you to. It doesn't work that way, folks. It doesn't work that way. And what really has happened is that we have been fed a load of garbage. And as a result of that, our children are not learning science in school. And that is a big tragedy. Uh, David, what do you think people can do? We're at the to-do part. I always, I mean, we can sit here and we can say, this is a problem, this is a problem, this is a problem, over and over again. But if we don't have things that we can do to stop that problem, well, then we're lost. And I know there's lots of things that we can do. So what would your clues be? Absolutely. So One of the things that I've noticed recently is that the proponents of big government, the left, whatever you want to call it, they have invested a lot of time and resources into changing how people talk to each other about their about their ideas and and their proposed solutions. So, for instance, I was uh, I took a uh, a rental car, you know, Enterprise will come pick you up. So they came pick me up, and the very polite young woman who came and picked me up was telling me how she just graduated from University of Florida, and she knew all this stuff about climate science and how the world was going to be ending, and it's our responsibility to solve it. And I thought, how interesting. I mean, she, she got a degree in PR or something like that, completely unrelated. But it goes to show to me how the left is very intentionally trying to change the conversations that people have at a retail level, person to person. It's not just about their dominance with the media and social media anymore, or even academia. They're trying to infiltrate people's person to person conversations. So that's to say, I think one of the most important things we can do is to not be afraid to make your opinions known in a polite, respectful way, particularly with, you know, our friends and family members who are more moderate and who might not already agree with us, but to show us, to show them that, you know, we know what we're talking about. We have our own opinions, even if they are different from what the narrative you're getting from the mainstream media or from academia has to say, that those are still valid opinions. And actually the truth is on our side. I I think those retail person-to-person conversations are extremely important. Yeah, one of the bad things that we grassroots people have a tendency to do is to continually talk to the same people. And when you're preaching to the choir, as they say, 
we're not going to get anywhere because we all agree with the same thing. What we have to do is devise a plan, devise a way to get to talk to other groups. And usually climate is one of those things that's not so political that you can't actually have a conversation with someone about it. And one of the things that I used to do, uh, tell my friends up north during a blizzard, well, if you believe in climate change, then why don't you all, why don't all you guys go outside and breathe and then you would be melting the snow. It doesn't work that way. So you've got to do two things. One, we've got to talk to people who don't always agree with us. But two, we should be copying what the left is doing. And they make funny sayings. They have uh, unique words. They twist things around. We should be following what they're doing and making these processes interesting. It's not a matter of here's information. Go look it up and make your own conclusion. We can't do that anymore. We have to lay out what we want the conclusion to be because this is what the people are used to. And this is what we need to be able to set forth working within their own realm. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to have these conversations because what they're trying to do right now is keep us divided. So we have to find things that are not political that we can talk about so that we can actually come together and have a real conversation. So what would you think of that, David? I think that's exactly right. And one of the things that you touched on there as well is the use of humor, um, especially with um, the rise of internet culture and various message boards and things like that. I've seen it in the past, the left, I feel like has always felt like they're the funny ones. They're the ones that get to make jokes. All the comedians, all the movies that are comedies tend to be left leaning. And ultimately that results in big government policies. And I think now the left has become so entrenched that the more radical position, the more fun and interesting and novel approach actually comes from the free market side and people on the right. And using humor, again, not in a way where, you know, you can be obnoxious with it as well and you want to avoid that, but using humor to point out the contradictions of leftist thinking can be extremely powerful as well. Yes, we've got to come up with some really cool ways to get our message across and not be left behind. Uh, don't touch that dial, folks. We will be right back. This is Karen Schoen. You're listening to the Prism of America's Education with my guest, David Holt, from the Heartland Institute. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Because of COVID-19, the average American worries about their immune health four times a day. That's 112 times per year. To minimize the worries, leading nutritional supplement company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost, an immune supplement that contains 15 full doses of science-backed nutrients like vitamin C, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea, all in a one-a-day pill-free gel pack. It tastes great, is convenient on the go, and it's more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Supporting a strong and resilient immune system can be simple. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Immune Super Boost. 
That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. AmericaOutloud.com is the alternative from the agenda-driven globalist. Here, we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. On-demand podcast or real-time talk radio with our streaming apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. been thinking about that that uh, issue that I just discussed over and over again. And as a former teacher, I cannot imagine how lowering a bar, how lowering standards helps anybody. Because now what do we have? We actually are living in a time that Plato predicted when he said, if citizens do not get involved in their government, they will be ruled by their inferiors. And that's what we have today. And affirmative action, I believe, was a horrible thing to do to the minority community, because it allowed mediocre people to stay mediocre rather than trying to compete for excellence. And now we have governors actually signing bills saying that excellence is no longer going to be required. Imagine that. Imagine what type of innovation we will lose, what wonderful new innovative products and services and things that can be done and added to increase and improve the lives of human beings will be lost because now mediocre people will be filling government positions just because of skin color. How dangerous is that? That is incredibly dangerous. And critical race theory is we put the Uh, finger right on the button. It is critical race theory and all of the things that critical race theory brings with it, because it's not just saying you're a racist. It's the actual actions that follow and taking a group of people and saying to them, you don't have to succeed. You just have to be mediocre in your life. What a horrible thing to do to people. And this is what we see happening over and over again as standards are lowered to accommodate what? Because they're not accommodating anything by giving and allowing an inferior education to take place. That's the problem. It's not the problem that people with different skin colors have different intelligence, That's not the problem. Intelligence and skin color are totally unrelated. What the problem is, is that the education itself is inferior. And once you have an inferior education, it doesn't matter what color the person is that's getting it. They will be an inferior person. And now 47% of Americans are graduating high school and they cannot read, write, and do simple math. So what kind of a country are we producing? 
Well, fortunately, we live in Florida. I live in Florida, and we do have a governor that at least, thank God, thank you so much, Governor DeSantis. You have a brain, you listen to people, you understand, you make a decision, and you stick to it. And that is fantastic. And right now, Governor DeSantis said, no mask mandates in Florida. Parents should decide what they want their children to do. What a unique concept. And he also said, if you're going to a school and those masks are mandated and that bothers you, well, we have an option. And I have asked Pastor Rick to come in and describe that option because the Florida Citizens Alliance was one of the premier groups in getting this passed. Pastor Rick, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, it's always a pleasure. And thanks for having me. And, and uh, it is fun to talk about the good things that are happening in Florida, especially related to education. We haven't got every problem solved, but we are certainly working and moving in the right direction. And this statement that the governor governor has been making about parents having the right to make the decisions for their children is exactly correct. And I think parents everywhere should applaud that he's doing nothing more than what we all know is right. And even more than that, Florida passed a law this past legislative session. He signed it into law that affirms that parents have the right to direct their children's education. So uh, that's that's keeping us on the right track in that regard. And then, of course, you mentioned the mask uh, challenges, and they do exist still in Florida with various school districts and their positions on this. But again, what the governor has done, he's put the responsibility and the opportunity to make the decisions squarely in the hands of the parents. And he's using the HOPE scholarship to solve that problem. Now, that's not surprising to us at the Florida Citizens Alliance. It's encouraging, but the backstory of it is really quite fascinating. So we've been wrestling with this school challenge and particularly the mask for a while now. And we've heard from parents, probably everybody's listening has heard parents talk about the challenges of that. And we tried to find some relief for the parents, particularly the kids who are really struggling And we couldn't get anywhere using the HOPE Scholarship. And the Florida HOPE Scholarship is a really excellent opportunity for children who find themselves in a school where they're harassed, intimidated, threatened, and it gives them a scholarship to the school of their choice. Their parents can exercise that opportunity. But the the government, particularly the Department of Education, wouldn't let us encourage parents to use the HOPE Scholarship for relief as it related to the mask mandate because they said, this is a medical issue. This is a, a virus, and we don't think it applies. Well, okay, we didn't particularly like that way of looking at it. So, but we we understood, and and we have never encouraged people to to do anything fraudulent related to the Hope Scholarship. So we let that go, and we told people when they ask us, no, they're telling us that that it doesn't apply. This is a whole different situation. Well. So last Friday, the State Board of Education passed a rule, but the reason they passed a rule related to masks and the HOPE Scholarship is because the previous Friday, Governor DeSantis came to Cape Coral, my hometown, and gave a press conference. Leading up to that, the day before, actually, I mean, we didn't get very much notice. His staff contacted us and wanted to know if we could get some parents who would speak up and speak out about their challenges with their kids uh, 
particularly related to the parents being able to make the decisions for their children, and in some cases relating to the mask challenges and their children not being able to wear masks, those kinds of things, and the, the general problems parents have been facing. So we did. Uh, most of the speakers that appeared at that press conference with the governor and met privately with him were arranged by the Florida Citizens Alliance, and they did a fantastic job. They were articulate, forceful. They made the case really well. Well, I stood right there in front of the governor while he was making his remarks on that. And I listened to the way he was describing the current state of affairs. And he went through some specific things. And, and I'm remembering a year before what happened and, and saying, now, wait a minute, he's describing things very differently and very forthrightly than, than what we were told a year ago. And so the more I listened to, the more I connected the dots, I said, hmm, this might be an opportunity. I kept thinking about that. And, you know, sometimes you jump to conclusions and I didn't want to do that. So I began thinking about it. And so I, I put my thoughts together and uh, sent them to his deputy chief of staff, the man that we had talked to uh, about the press conference and making those details and just suggested they, they consider maybe the Hope Scholarship could apply this way. Well, I didn't know what they would do and I wouldn't necessarily expecting that my idea was was a winner his response was well let me think about that i'll get back to you and and i was glad for that response i wasn't necessarily expecting to hear back because things happen and they get busy well the long and the short of it is apparently our observation was a catalyst to help the governor's team put together this idea for a rule relative to the hope scholarship so Last Thursday, we got the heads up that the State Board of Education was going to meet an emergency session on Friday and consider two rules, one of them related to attendance, uh, and that was a little bit technical, and the, the districts needed some, some uh, guidance on that, and that was fine, and one related to the Hope Scholarship, where they were very forthright in saying that if a child finds themselves in a position where they are harassed or intimidated in some way relative to the mask issue, you know, whether the district mandated it or just kind of badgered them into doing whatever it was, if the child was subject to, to some kind of harassment or threat or intimidation, that became a qualifier for the Hope Scholarship. And they passed the rule. It goes into effect immediately. And so now we have relief for parents that if their child runs up against that, they have the opportunity to receive the Hope Scholarship and take their child to the school of their choice. And we think that's a huge win for Florida parents. And we oh couldn't have been goodness. more excited. Oh, this is a huge win for parental choice and for parents to know that they have control over the health of their child. And I want to challenge any school board member that thinks that a child should be wearing a mask for eight hours a day to put a mask on yourself and keep it on for eight hours and suffer the same kind of things that you are forcing upon our children, especially now when we know the masks don't work. So what are we doing? What are we proving? Well, the real proof, I believe, is the control. This is a total control. This is what they want. I'm going to give you a directive. I'm going to see if you're going to pay attention. I'm going to see how far I can push you. This is what communists do. They put the camel's nose under the tent. 
And very soon you're staring at the entire camel in your little tent. And this is where we're headed. Fortunately, we have a wonderful governor like Governor DeSantis. But now with an audience completely across the nation, I'm going to challenge you. Go to the Florida Citizens Alliance, read about the HOPE Scholarship, and start promoting that in your education department, in your state. It is so important that we give our children hope instead of telling them you're a victim, you will fail, you will be a failure, you're mediocre, we don't expect anything from you. I never told that to a child because you can always expect something. They will always be successful at something. I was glad to see uh, the criminals in our criminals in Washington have passed the egregious $1.1 trillion non-infrastructure bill. And now they're looking at the other $3 trillion. So Where this is going to be headed, folks, this is definitely not good. The first thing that you should be doing when you are looking at who you're going to be selecting for your candidate for 2022 is ask your candidate, would you impeach the imposters in the office at the moment? And if their answer is no, don't elect them because Unless we can get rid of those rhinos and some of those Democrats, there is no way that inflation is not going to rule the day. And that's a very, very scary thing. Uh, We have inflation running rampant, and I am very concerned about that. Are you seeing that in um, where you are also, Pastor? Are people concerned about what's going on in the economy, especially as they're passing all of these horrible bills? People notice it, and, and it's becoming more noticeable all the time. And, and you're right. We need to speak up, and we need to make our voice known, and we need to begin to realize, I mean, a lot of people have given up. They just say, well, they won't listen to me. Well, I understand why they say that, and it's not easy to get people's attention and get them to listen to you, and we have cultivated that over time. That's why at the Florida Citizens Alliance, we've had some, some effectiveness with that. But it also can happen more quickly than people realize. So let's talk a little bit more about this mask business and the reason that we need to push back. And at the federal level, every level, level, any opportunity you have to to engage your decision makers, do it. You just don't know. So our local people here in Lee County, Florida, have been increasingly involved. And there were some issues that that got people's attention and, and focused their energy. So the mask mandate has been a big part of that. And the governor said, no, you can't require that in schools. Well, Florida school districts, a few of them came out and said, well, we want students to wear masks, but the parents can opt them out by filling out this form that we're going to release to you. And then you send into school. Well, in Lee County, where I live, they made that decision. It became public on Sunday afternoon. They sent emails out to the parents and the press picked it up. And that's how I heard about it that they were going to have a mask mandate with a parent opt-out and they were going to release the form that the parents needed to sign the next day, which would have been Monday. It was released late on Monday, but guess what? School started on Tuesday. So parents had almost no time to react to that. So local activists, people who have been paying attention and been engaged on this, them, one of them, a trained attorney 
sent an email to the superintendent saying, you know, there's nothing in any of the directives, the governor's executive order or any of the the uh, statements that have come out of the Department of Health in Florida or the Florida Department of Education that says parents need to opt out with a paper document and that you can require that. Well, the long and the short of it was the superintendent agreed and was waiting for the attorney at the school district to to weigh in on it. It wasn't too long after that, that the attorney replied to, to my friend, the activist, and admitted that the paper was not required, that if the parents sent the child without a mask, that was fine, then and they would accept that. Well, that was all a result of people being involved and speaking up. And so I'm sure they had a lot of papers that they dealt with. How they could manage that administratively, I have no idea. To me, it just opened up more trouble than, than I w- would want to deal with if I was them. And certainly we shouldn't expect it of our teachers. But the long and the short of it is the good news was the people spoke up and said, no, this is not required. And we don't think you should enforce this. And they agreed. Now, if nobody had spoken up, they might well have tried to enforce that you have to have the piece of paper for your child to opt out. But our voice was heard. And the parents remain in charge of their decision making. And that's a very good thing. That's an example of all the things that you mentioned, Karen, that people need to speak up about and let your voice be heard. Don't remain silent. You cannot remain silent. That's no longer an option. And never, never be discouraged. You have to understand that this process that we're experiencing today was not put in place yesterday, even though we want you want to think that Joe Biden thought of all of these things and he's doing them. No, he's not. And he didn't think of anything. These were laid out for him when he came into office. All he's doing is signing pieces of paper. But these were already put in process. And we can find out by who it's very easy. Just go and look at some of the NGOs that have been lobbying our legislators to pass all of these disgusting bills. And you will find, yes, it has basically been George Soros and Bill Gates' money that has allowed and Mark Zuckerberg's money that has allowed this to happen. Well, do you want to be pushed around by three people? I certainly don't, especially three people that I never elected, that I don't have any interest in, and I know have no interest in me. So I'm not interested in that. This is the time that we have to recognize there are more of us than them. And it was like I I was reading something yesterday, and the, the article said that if 330 million people elected not to wear masks, how would they fill the jails? Who would be arrested? That's the whole key. And this is, of course, what media never talks about. And it's kind of like what was the most successful feature of the Civil Rights Act? It was the boycott. Uh, I don't know if you had a chance, Pastor, to listen to uh, Mike Lindell at all this past week. I did. Yes, we had a huge problem with our elections. Yes, they were totally fraudulent. But the question is, what do we do next? So what do you think we could do next, Pastor? Well, there's a lot of that we need to do, and I think people need to pay attention. One of the things that's concerned me is, We haven't been willing to investigate carefully and consider all of these things. People seem to be too quick to dismiss them. And one of the things that I think we have to begin to insist on is that 
the people in decision-making positions, our senators, our representatives on the state and the national level, our local county commissioners, every single person, we have to insist that they tell us the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth so that we can understand what's going on. And we have to, to use our baloney detectors to, to find out when they aren't giving us the whole truth. And when we begin to recognize some of these things going on, we have to say, and it's, and it's back to what we regularly say when we have these conversations, people have to speak up and let them know you're watching. I heard it years ago. I was so irritated when I heard it and I couldn't believe it, that it would be true. But somebody who had a lot more experience than I have, will ever have in the whole process of political decision-making said to me, you have to remember the people you elect will do whatever they can get away with. And I thought that was a terrible statement, but it turns out he was right. And so when it comes to these kinds of issues with the election and everything else, people need to be rigorous and detailed about what's going on, document everything, investigate everything. And we have to speak up and say to them, you've got to fix this. We cannot back down. We have to be insistent because if we are not, they'll do whatever they can get away with. And we can't stand for that. The country can't stand for that. That's a recipe for disaster. And we're headed in that direction in too many ways. We certainly are. And I want to just go over one little snippet that I heard from Mike Lindell's conference. And that was a statement by George Soros. When he was asked what his job was, he said, my job is to make money and I don't care how. And he was asked, well, what does that mean about consequences? And basically he said, I don't care what the consequences are. I don't look for consequences. I only want to make money. So corruption is high on his priority list because he does not care. And this is the same man that was Jewish in Hungary and turned other Jews into the Nazis so that he could claim their uh, fortune for himself. And that's how he basically got started. So he is the man who is funding all of these atrocities. He is one man. We are one person. And yet when we come together, we are a huge force. And I just wrote an article that is appearing in News with Views, and it says, we are many, they are few. Act like it. And that's exactly what we have to do. Uh, he also was asked if he believed in God, and he said, no, not at all. Well, that was my total done and finished with the Democrat Party, because we know where they come from. And Pastor, that sentence, that comment that he made is the one that's going to stick with me, because that we can apply to all of these people. They do not care. They have one objective, actually two, money and power. That's all they care about. They're not interested in you, your children, or your future. And if they can steal it from you, they will. And every single one of those 19 criminals that voted to advance the infrastructure bill should be canceled eliminated, not elected. Make sure that happens. That could be your job. Pastor, sadly, we're coming to the end of our time. And let's have a wonderful prayer because what George Soros said makes me sick. 
Well, it should make everybody sick. And as you were talking, I thought the very same thing. It's, it's a good reminder that you put out there for all of us that too often it's about power and money. But we know who the real power is. And so that's why we turn to the Lord and that's why we pray. So let's end with a, with a time to turn to God and to ask him to help us because he has said he will and we can trust him. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that we can trust you. We are grateful to have the opportunity to remind you of our need and to pray that you would hear our concerns and heal our land. We thank you that you have told us over and over in the scriptures that we do not need to be afraid. You were very forthright in telling us, fear not. And we are determined to put fear behind us, to push back against those who would try to control us, and to turn our minds and our hearts in your direction and depend upon you for deliverance from all kinds of evil. For we live in evil days, and we pray that you who conquered all evil would do that again in our land, for we need you to deliver us, and we're counting on that. We need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And thank you all for listening. Have a wonderful week. This is Karen Schoen. You have been listening to the Prism of America's Education with Pastor Rick from the Florida Citizens Alliance. Go there right now. Sign up if you're not in Florida. Copy what we have done and do it in your state. You will find huge success when we work together. So that's the clue for next week. We need to work together and we need to act. We cannot anymore allow the lies and deceit to take over our lives. See you again next week. Have a wonderful week. But our